Hello and welcome to the Juiced Ball Podcast, Episode 2. I'm your host, Alex Jensen. Some of you know me as Juicy. With me here, I have got Chris Is It the Welsh with me. Chris, how are you doing today? Alex, what's up, brother? I forgot about <laughs> I always forget about the juicy. I think a long time ago I was like, Alex, we gotta lose that. We gotta lose that that juicy thing. But, I kind of want to, honestly. Like yeah. I feel like I've outgrown that, but also like it's just too ingrained. I feel like, you know, if I try to do it, it's gonna look like I'm trying to lose it, you know, switch it I up. Mean, so yeah, you can't it's like that you can't like give yourself a nickname. Like even the Welsh wasn't given to me. Like I or it was given to me. I didn't come up with it. So like if they gave that to you, but they're just a couple words that have always made me feel uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> moist is a gross word. And uh juicy's borderline. Juicy's in that range of like, eh, I don't know, but I don't know. You you pull it off, my friend. You can you there's can a, there's a backstory. There's a backstory to the nickname. Uh <laughs> Maybe, maybe uh, it's it's not actually a dirty story. It's actually a baseball story. It's I, uh, I, I got when I was a lot younger. Uh, I was on a road trip for with my travel team, and I got drilled in the jaw. And was, this is right when uh, Snapchat came out, and uh, I, I broke my jaw, and so I had to wire it shut for a little bit, right? But I was still on this trip, so I had to be there. But I couldn't eat any solids, and uh, so it's right when Snapchat was coming out. And uh, it's a little bit after the Kanye West, like through the wire when he had his jaw wired shut thing uh, was happening. And so I had to blend all my food on this trip, right? So I was just traveling around with a little blender, just constantly drinking smoothies on this. Uh, I think it was a two week trip, right? And uh, we were doing like Snapchat rap battles with each other, just 15 second, like little raps. And they started calling me, uh, <laughs> they're making fun of me, calling me like Juicy J, the rapper from 36 Mafia, since my last name was Jensen. And then it's just one of those things that kind of stuck with me through baseball. The story time. makes it so much better. The story yeah. makes it exponentially better. It's a, yeah, it's a lot less dirty than you'd think. I like it. Okay, but so, uh, it's a brief history right there. Uh, but yeah, anyways, I uh, wanted to have you on today to uh, talk about the Arizona Fall League because uh, I think you're one of the premier Arizona-based prospectors, I would say. And uh, definitely someone I know who gets a lot of live looks in Arizona, someone I'm always kind of eager to check in on certain players that I like, maybe the DSL or something like that. They get moved to the uh, Arizona Complex League, something like that. Like, hey, have you seen this guy sort of thing? So definitely we the first person that we came to mind. We uh, cross-reference a ton. Like, you'll hit me up and we talk a bunch on Twitter. You've put me on to plenty of guys that I need to give extra attention to. And I, I very much enjoy that because I'm... Um, Live in Arizona, been out here a long time doing baseball, at least uh, from a on-air standpoint since like 2016, been just doing backfields and stuff like that. And uh, I have very much enjoyed our conversations through all of these guys. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, I enjoy all of us. And you definitely put on the most, I would say, well-produced <laughs> baseball podcast that I've ever been on. Uh, definitely the highest audio quality, everything like that. But uh, before we jump into that, just kind of want to talk about how you're feeling as a Diamondbacks fan, kind of a crazy story. I mean, 84 and 78, sneaking into the playoffs. And here we are. If you, if you can put together two wins going to the World Series. So uh, how, how you feeling right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is this going to air before uh, it comes out? Like, everyone might already know how I'm feeling about it. Like, it's an awesome season. We'll it's, an, it's an incredible season. We're recording this, like... I don't know, four or five hours, whatever. I don't remember what time of game time is, but we're recording it before game six. And my worry is this is it. This is going to be it. Like winning two games in Philadelphia is near impossible. But what the Diamondbacks have done, not just in this series and on the year, has been the near impossible. 
I mean, I think it's amazing. Um, it's culminated for me personally slash professionally in a lot of good ways, just because I'm one of the few like open diamondback people that's in, you know, I'm in the fantasy space and, and whoever listens to pod, I've been on a lot of podcasts this year and you, you know, like I'm the guy that people think of like that. Cause there's a lot of Yankees fans. There's a lot of brave fans. You know, there's a lot of that, but you know, diamondbacks are specific. So I get thought of a whole lot, which I appreciate, but also the success of Corbin Carroll, which was something I really hitched my wagon to this year. Pretty hardcore, almost kind of argumentative with, and I don't get like that. I'm not a very argumentative person. Like there's a lot of people out there that have to go out of their way to prove they have much to prove and they have to argue with people and they have to be right. And they've got to argue to anybody else that has any other opinion. I don't care about that stuff. I don't get involved in that stuff, nor will I ever. But when I was on podcasts, I got very like, well, no, this is why Corbin Carroll is going to be like this. Like, well, what about the power? I, I don't care. Every level but one, he had 200 plus ISO. Look at the swing. Uh, well, this projected steamer projection, 16. I don't care. He's going to lead the Diamondbacks in stolen bases. And I made a futures bet that he could lead the league. I was just a little off. And then also Brandon Fott. You know, Brandon Fott was another one that I was very high on and very wrong about for fantasy Except I now look very right because he is complete. Brett Strom has completely turned him around by moving him on the on the rubber, and he's tunneling these three. I mean, I don't know if you saw the pitching ninja video where this beautiful tunneling video of the fastball sweeper and the sinker and how they're breaking. He's becoming a complete pitcher. So I'm just like, all of this is like not only are the Diamondbacks this amazingly surprising, fun, young team. But the young players that I have seen for years are developing into stars. And I had kind of attached myself to, you know, a few of them and it's gone well. So it's incredible to see. I would give anything on the planet for the Diamondbacks to get to the World Series. Bogman, my best friend who I do in this league with, is coming out here and we would literally go to the World Series if they were to make it. But the Phillies are a crazy team, but the Diamondbacks are very fun. And that is um, player development at a very, very cool point because the Diamondbacks are doing it without good pitching. You know, they got Gallon and Kelly, but Fought has stepped up. They didn't get a fourth pitcher, which is probably why this is going to really kill this team. But, you know, it, it shows the youth development and how close you can get or really how you can put this together when you don't seem like you're quite there. Like the Diamondbacks were a team where it's like, oh, man, those guys are two years away. It's like, well, no, they're two games away from the World Series right now. And if they just had a couple more pieces, which they probably have in the lower levels, um, maybe they could get there. But it's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm 100 percent with you on that. And, you know, I think the entire Mariners fan base right now is uh, behind <laughs> Diamondbacks just uh, because of uh, Paul Sewold, really. Yeah, you get just, to root for Seawald and you guys yeah, got he, some he, pretty good pieces in Bliss and Canzone. Yeah, but he's just one of those beloved Mariners. So everyone's super excited for him. I mean, me personally. As a Corbin Carroll fan, I mean, I I don't know if you know this. Uh, I uh, at the time of that 2019 draft and that whole fall up, uh, I mean, Corbin Carroll I was a big Espino guy. He was the only person I saw square up Espino uh, that oh. whole summer leading into the draft. So I was big on him for that reason. And then I lived in a part of Seattle called Ballard, which was about five minutes away from Lakeside High School, where Corbin Carroll went. So I could pretty much see every game, literally five minute drive. And that was your saw guy. a ton of Corbin Carroll. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I was also a lot higher on him coming out as a result of seeing him a ton, but also just as like a person. And I know you've met him, talked to him quite a bit. He's one of those people where I uh, like the last time that I saw him in person, he was uh, he was dealing with an injury. I think it was 2021 summer 
but uh, I was just checking out one of my one of my friends has a son that was uh, playing like 12 U all star baseball, right? In Queen Anne, different area of Seattle. And uh, Corbin Carroll was just on the backfield giving tips to 12 year olds. Just loves baseball that much. Wanted to give back. Just yeah, I totally and so, agree. You know, and I I think I said this story somewhere. I was with Corbin a couple months ago. It was August, I think. And uh, my friend Dennis Sidler owns an autograph company, and he had Carol as one of his clients. And I've got to sit in a couple times with him. And Carol's a very, very cool, interesting guy. And I was in that one, and we were talking. And Carol was, I mean, Carol brought his kids like stuff, brought him a hat from the um, Futures game and a shirt that is really blah, blah, blah. But we're sitting there halfway through and we had the Little League World Series on the TV in this hotel room. And Carol was sitting there just rooting them on. Like we would stop for a minute and watch a play. And, the, you know, there was there was just one like out that we we're all looking at. And it was like 10 minutes in and, and I kind of stopped and I was like, Corbin, I'm like, can you imagine what these kids would think to know that like a superstar is sitting here rooting them on and watching them play? Like what an amazing experience experience it would be for these kids. And he just kind of laughed about it. But yeah, he's a he's a real humble, great, hardworking, you know, just taking he's I'm like, hey, what are you doing? He's taking care of his body, just working out, you know, eating good. And uh, Dennis had even asked him when we were walking up being like, hey, are you able to still go to places? And Corbin was like, yeah, I'm still good. And he said it because literally when they had when they drove in, there was a big old like billboard of Corbin Carolina. <laughs> I don't think it's caught up to him quite like the superstar in baseball that he he really is. But um, it definitely doesn't show like he is completely humble and he's a he's a really great dude. And like you said, talking to kids behind the scenes or watching kids and rooting them on in the college world series, or, you know, just being a good person is definitely a huge part of his game. Yeah. Yeah. Super easy to root for. I kind of had a get into actual baseball discussion in a second here, but, uh, had <laughs> a thing last weekend, uh, I was, uh, at the, uh, UW and Oregon game, which was huge football game. Right. And, uh, Julio Rodriguez actually showed up full UW gear randomly and just, you know, that. it was a couple weeks ago, right? Or two weeks ago. Did, yeah. This was, uh, yeah. Last weekend, last weekend. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, just super cool seeing him just embrace a city like that. And there's certain people that just do everything right to make a city love you. And I feel like Corbin Carroll is really one of those guys. So, Really easy to root for him and definitely a popular team in Seattle right now. So excited yeah. for you guys and hopefully see a couple more games from you. It's really interesting seeing that too in the players because not all players uh, have that in them. And you can sometimes tell at the lowest levels. And sometimes you, you can't even see where it's coming from because uniquely me in here in Arizona, I see so many players in their first go of being a professional. Sometimes not out here in the Arizona Fall League. These guys have been around for, you know, maybe two or three years or whatever it is. But I see so many players really learning to be professionals. And sometimes you can just see the the pieces that are going to build where either the guy will just be like a good person or they might go beyond. And then you can also see the inverse. And I absolutely have many of those players in mind that you can tell like, oh, yes. this is going to be someone that's going to be like Josh Donaldson, who's going to walk in the locker room and not introduce himself to teammates or, or whatever. Like it goes both ways on those players, but you know, Julio and Corbin Carroll distinctly have the personalities to be, you know, Julio from the day I met him when he was 18, you know, eight, 17, 18 years old out here on the backfields, nobody knew him. I remember, um, 
it was the, the Padres and Mariners play in spring training. They play the their prospect game, or they used to at least, and it would be the top prospects on both teams. And they would just it, during spring training. And I remember Julio was in that game, and after the game, nobody knew who Julio was. And I called him over and I talked with him. And we have this this not that he would remember me even now, but we had this joke we did for a couple of years where I was like Julio because he had thrown this guy out from right field like to third base, a beautiful throw. And I was like Julio, that throw. And he looked at me and he was like, they don't know. And he said, like, <laughs> he's like, they don't know. And I'm like, they don't know. And I did it with him for like two or three years. My point is, you could tell from day one, he was going to be a star. He wanted to be a star. He wanted to be the face of baseball. And he became that, which is crazy. Him and Acuna. Um, but seeing the lowest levels of how some of these players are going to develop and the person they're going to become is 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 unique to what I enjoy. It doesn't fantasy fan doesn't necessarily care. Maybe some people like that about my prospect show. I do th- I am a little bit different in that where I get very anecdotal and I kind of will talk about, you know, just goofy things, do goofy stories of players that I see and stuff like that. And I do have a lot of anecdotal things that, again, probably don't necessarily help fantasy, but maybe it helps you understand the players like a tiny bit more. Yeah. And I mean, like your personality and your drive really do affect like that's an important thing for actual scouting. Like <laughs> it very much is going to have an effect on who you are long term and what your ceiling can be. So I think any sport really, that's that's something that I know the scouts definitely pay a lot of attention to. Yeah. But moving on to what we're getting into, just kind of want to talk a little bit about the Arizona Fall League, some people that are popping both negatively and positively, most focusing on the positive, and just kind of get your takes as someone who's seen a lot of these players live and what you think about them. And uh, one person that's been really popping to me is James Triantos. And one of the reasons he's really popped to me is, A, he's been probably the most dominant player in the Arizona Fall League right now, definitely arguably. But also, I know for a fact, and from talking to certain people within the organization, even somewhat within the organization, he's a very polarizing player. And just huge juxtapositions from year to year where, you know, when he was drafted, came out, and was kind of seen as this, you know, incredibly pure hitter, really big in fantasy circles and FYPD list, stuff like that. Then the next year it was, oh, he's way too fat, never going to have a chance to play anything besides first base. It's not going to work. Arrow way down, drop him. And then this year came out pretty well during the regular season, hit 287, 364, just a 391 slug, but that wasn't too much of the game. Definitely a really polished hitter across 83 games, but was also, I think, 16 stolen bases which stone bases as a whole were definitely up in the minor leagues recently, but kind of an, Oh, doesn't look as fat. Maybe he can play second base uh, like that. And now on the Arizona fall league, he's slashing across uh, 13 games, 431, 525, 765. So 1.290 ops, which is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. But even more impressive, really four triples <laughs> to go with three doubles and two home runs. And he's stolen six bases in just 13 games with some pretty good plate discipline as well. And uh, just some kind of numbers that stolen from uh, our mutual friend, Chris Clegg, uh, 94.6% average exit velocity with a 71.4% hard hit rate. So kind of impressive. I haven't gotten any live looks at him. Is he looking faster out there? Like what's going on? Yeah, he's, he's not looking fat. I, that was making me laugh about that. <laughs> I do know what you're talking about, though, because I remember seeing him. He was right around like complex or maybe right after complex league a couple years ago, rookie ball that. Yeah, he looked bigger. Looked like this might be a guy that's got to be maybe a uh, only a third baseman type. Uh, I could see where they might say, oh, maybe he's got to go to first. But he doesn't have that. You know, the one thing I've always, it, it was weird. I had somebody tell me about, like, 
his, his personality wise too, I, I think there might be some like, as someone had mentioned something about like some social anxiety stuff that kind of actually goes on with him as well of like being around a lot of people. And I think that's a big adjustment to him of like, and this is, again, this is a projecty thing I'm putting out there that someone had told me that there was some like, th- that was a maybe one of the bigger adjustments he had as a professional was dealing with like lots of people and maybe you know, lots of people watching and whatever. But from a physicality standpoint, he looks good. He is the most dominant player. He, I would say he is probably in the lead for MVP. There's a couple players for the Arizona Fall League that are probably vying for that right now. But he's been the most complete player. He's making good decisions. We actually have some better pitching. I don't want to say as a whole because there's some insanely inflated ERAs that are out here. But we've had some better pitching with guys like we'll talk about like Job and Tiedemann that have been out here. Quite a few other stars. There's some major leaguers, Darius Vines. Um, Dylan Dodd, there's Thaddeus Ward, multiple, I think up to four or five pitchers that have hit the major leagues, some decent relievers and some stud starters. My point to this is sometimes the Arizona Fall League is two things or three things. It's breaking pitches that nobody swings at. It's walks and it's fastballs down the middle. Like that's what it could be. And that's why you can get inflated numbers. When a guy throws a fastball, it's down the middle and it gets chunked. Their walk numbers are always inflated here because there are really, I mean, this guy, Miguel Lola with the Astros walked six in two thirds of an inning, like a week and a half ago. Like the walks are absurd out here, but what you're getting a little bit more of, I've, I've noticed is you're getting a little bit more polished pitchers that like Tiedemann will mention, like Tiedemann works from behind. Like he can start you with strikes on breaking pitches and then bring in fastballs. So we're seeing a lot more strikes getting out there. So my point to that is I'm a little bit paying a little bit more attention to some of the offensive numbers because I don't think it's as inflated as in previous years. So come back to Triantos. Physically, he looks good. He's been making great decisions, letting the counts work for him. Bat speed looks phenomenal. That would be something I'd be worried about as he got bigger if the bat speed was going to continue. And it looks like from a pitch recognition standpoint, he looks completely on point. Like, he doesn't have a hole. Something with Cal Manzardo, it, there's this discussion that got up on Twitter of like, you know, hey, is Manzardo the new Matt Mervis from last year? And Matt Mervis, to me, always had this hole in the bottom of the zone. And you would see pitchers attack that. I've seen this in the AFL a bunch. I remember Mackenzie Gore did it to Spencer Torkelson, this lower zone thing. Manzardo doesn't have that. So we're already moving to what I think the next evolution that happens with prospects is where they attack the upper zone. The upper zone is what like Nolan Gorman had to work on in the majors. Major leaguers are still working on that upper zone high fastball. And Manzardo is doing that. You know, he is working. Guys are attacking him a little bit higher in the zone. Bring it back to Triantos. I don't see any of that with Triantos. Triantos doesn't have a really big hole in his game right now. He's able to hit across the zone. Extra base hits have been through the roof. Nine of his 22 hits are extra base. He's not striking out a bunch. I think it looks great. I think it's a real deal. I, I kind of had him outside of my top 100 prior to this from, again, my ranks also from a fantasy perspective. I put him back in because I think he looks absolutely locked in. He looks comfortable out here and he doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to be exhibiting the exhaustion that some players have as well. That's something you have to pay attention to in the fall league. Um, Kevin Alcantara, 
one of the players that has mentioned, I'll just briefly say, I was actually going to not mention the name, but whatever was like, I'm tired. Like he's, there's guys that are tired here. It's understandable. Parker Meadows said that last year. He's like, I want to get out of here. I'm tired. Some of these guys get exhausted and break down. That's not happening with Triantos. Triantos is absolutely locked in. He's playing some of the best ball that I've seen over the last couple of years. And I, I do think for the most part, there's a real dealness to him. What will that equate to? I don't know. I think he's like a max 20. I think he's like a 20, 25 guy, 20, 25, uh, maybe 15, 30. If we get there, we'll see if the power keeps going. But I do think this is a high contact hitter and he's showing it off here in the AFL. Yeah. And one last thing I want to see, I don't know, uh, seeing him live. I, I don't know if you saw any of these games, but I've seen he's been playing a lot of shortstop in center field, which yeah. really stood out to me. It's kind of weird. Trantos? Yeah, Triantos. I didn't been. see him play center. I have seen him play shortstop. I think every game I've seen him play, it's been at shortstop out here. I don't recall center field though. And I'm I'm always curious when I see that. Is that like a model manipulation thing to kind of try to mess other teams' trade values, or is it does he look legitimate out there? So how's he looking at shortstop? Uh, he looks pretty good. I mean, I haven't seen any defensive uh, miscues. The, the weird thing that happens out here in the fall league is you know you just get a big old clump of players. And sometimes you got guys that can play multiple spots. And I remember a couple of years ago when Royce Lewis was here, the twins told, or actually it was, well, it's the twins slash like, you know, the uh, Arizona fall league. We don't have a shortstop position for you. Like you can't come and play shortstop here. They had Geraldo Perdomo and Vidal Brujan. So you can go, but you got to play other positions. And I talked to him about that and he was like, cool. Now he didn't come because he was, you know, the, they asked him, we don't want you to play shortstop in the future. They're just like, if you want to, you know, get some at bats and you want to be flexible, we'd like you to go. So he came and he played other positions. That's happening again. They have so many guys that can play other spots. It's not uncommon. Sterling Thompson is, he told me this. Um, he, he's been playing a ton of second base out here. And, but he, but last week he played outfield and he's like, I'm learning to play lots of positions. That's what I did in the minors. We're continuing that. He's totally comfortable with it. And I think Triantis is out here to, a build up that trade value. B also, I mean, the two guys I guess that are vying for it are him and Max Muncie. Um, so I think they want to see: do we have a viable shortstop um, in Triantos? Like what you talked about from a body standpoint. I've seen decent range. I've seen a good arm. Looks like he can play the spot. I kind of don't think he will, but I think he can play the spot. So he's versatile for sure. But I'm gonna have to pay attention. I just don't recall. I've I've seen Mesa a little bit less than some of the other teams. So I, maybe I've just missed the outfield thing. But I'm hoping to catch him a couple times this week, and uh, I'll let you know if I see him out in center too. All right, I look forward to that. And uh, kind of skip around a little bit, but since you mentioned him, uh, Kyle Manzardo, definitely a guy who's been having a pretty good, really like full close to the year, I would say. He definitely struggled earlier in the year, but ever since he got traded to Cleveland, it's been pretty good. I think he hit for Cleveland 256, 348, 590. So the power is really showing 14 extra base hits in, I believe, 21 games uh, with Cleveland. So definitely was showing a little bit more power there. And then in the Fall League has, uh, I believe, the highest, if I remember correctly, 90th percent uh, XL, exit velocity at 108.3, 94.4 average exit velocity, uh, definitely burying the ball at a really high rate, hitting 283, 367, 698. So five home runs kind of up there towards the top, if not the top of the yeah, uh, fall is, league and home the runs. One home, home run hitter here right now. Striking out a little bit, but nothing crazy, still under 30%. And uh, I, I did notice the five home runs he's hit have come off four pitchers that I, I don't know that I would say are future MLB pitchers, at least right now. 
So it's kind of interesting. It definitely leads to what do the live looks look like, right? Is, is this holding up or is he just feasting on bad pitching? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's feasting on some bad pitching. Like, don't get that wrong. There's some definite bad pitching out here. But I, if I remember, I've got multiple of the homers on video. If you guys want to go check it out on my Twitter at is it the Welsh? I think one or two of them might have been off of lefties as well. So I think that's an encouraging sign. But yeah, like there's a couple meatball pitches in there. But but it's also about Manzardo's like pitch selection, which I think is key. Because a lot of these guys, you know, they're going to just look for their one pitch. And that was like the Mervis thing. Like you got to make a mistake. He would destroy mistakes. Manzardo will destroy mistakes, but also like he's going to, he's going to find his pitch. He's not, not even just find his pitch. He's going to find a way to make it work because he has, I think he's got a very comfortable off-speed approach to like low breaking pitches. It's just a very textbook looking swing with huge loft. He's. He's doing okay with the high stuff. Like that is definitely the book on him. High inside fastballs. I've definitely seen him swing through. I, I remember there, I have this on, I never shared it, but he went up against Ricky Tiedemann a couple weeks ago or two weeks ago. Arizona fall like seems like it's been going on for like three months, but it's been three weeks and it was like a week and a half ago. And Tiedemann was pitching him inside, you know, he, he would sweep him outside and then he was trying to come inside and he just absolutely banged him right in the shoulder, uh, missed a ball and hit Manzardo right in the shoulder and Manzardo just moved on and, and walked. But it's because they're trying to get that inside corner high. So Manzardo is struggling through that, but I don't know, like, has he looked like a superstar? No, but he hit the longest homer I've ever seen in Peoria, <laughs> reported 471 that one bounced out of the stadium. He's got an inc- an incredible approach to launch angle and exit velocity. I think he, personally, he has dealt with some stuff this year in his family. Um, He had a bad year of being traded as well. I think a lot of the human effect of all of that is real. I think it's a real thing that goes on. And I I think from where you struggled to bouncing back in the Arizona Fall League and being the, you know, almost the best player on his team, we'll probably talk about the next guy. That's a loaded freaking team. But um, he also noted that it's really tough to not play every day. And that's what happens in the Arizona fall league. Like if you are doing awesome, you want to play and you want to continue on that. If you're struggling, you want to get out there and fix it. So the not being able to play every single day, I think does mess with some of these players from a, like a continuity standpoint. So if you take a look at where he struggled in the year, and then you take a look at what he's doing here so far in the AFL leader in homers, almost a leader in doubles, very respectable batting average, a thousand OPS. I think these are the these are all the things you want. He's a better defender um, than most first basemen. I think he's a plus defender there, and he definitely can hit for contact. And I think this is something to build off of for next year that he could theoretically break camp with this team as a starting first baseman because defensively he is there and his uh, his bat has worked. And there are just a few things I think they want to work on that uh, I'm a I'm a fan. Like I don't have this top ten anymore, but I do think you know from a like a fantasy standpoint with prospects, I am as a top twenty five guy. I, I'm a big fan of what we're seeing with Manzardo because this doesn't look like Mervis, and this looks like a major league first baseman who can absolutely hit 450 foot homers, can have an average exit velocity of 110 plus, and he's got that natural launch angle swing that goes with bat speed that um, as long as the guardians continue to, you know, 
maintained this and um, I want to say baby, but push him in the right direction for development, Cal Manzardo is going to be like a real deal guy. Yeah, yeah, I think he's someone that I had, I had dropped down after watching him earlier in the year because it just it looked out of sync to me and his whole you know not a whole lot of defensive value there. It was easy to see him getting pushed down, but yeah, he, he's someone that's been rising ever since he got traded to Cleveland and now again in the fall league pushing him up a bit more. He's he's been very impressive, I think. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that boat. Someone else I want to talk about who's been one of the top performers, I would say. Uh, I'd never heard. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, but Jacob Marcy, I believe. I'm not 100 percent sure hey, that's Jacob how you Marcy. pronounce it. Marcy, yeah, okay. So uh, with uh, the Padres over there, not a huge guy, six foot one eighty, but not a tiny guy. Slash in uh, 370, 486, 630 in the fall league across fourteen games, six doubles, a triple, two home runs, perfect eleven eleven for stolen bases. Had a pretty big breakout year, really. Uh, two seventy four, four thirteen, four twenty eight this year with uh, even even walks, uh, strikes, strike, strikeout rate, uh, 17.3 on both. Stole 46 bases and 55 attempts, 16 home runs. Pretty strong breakout year. Numbers look great. Under the hood, average exit velocity, you know, maybe it's a small sample size and that's just influencing things a bit, but 80.7 average exit velocity. Kind of a strong juxtaposition between the stats. So he's someone I'm very curious. I've I've never seen him live personally. Uh, very interested to see what he looks like and whether I think there's real power there or if the speed's real or what's what's carrying the profile here. Yeah, and I, I do want to be careful because I'm definitely sounding very Pollyanna. I'm like, oh, I love this guy. I love that guy. Like you got to be careful about AFL, like in general, whether it's negative or positive, it's about pinpointing all these things and being like, oh yeah, Kyle Manzardo is back. We happen to just be talking about some of the positives and some of the players that I like. Um, I like Jacob Marcy. I think part of the exit velocity stuff, he's a pretty good opposite field hitter. I've seen multiple hits. He pushes straight opposite field. He's not a guy that um, even, even as a lefty that you're, you're going to want to end up uh, shifting. If there was a shift, like he wouldn't be a guy that you were shifting on because he's got a very good opposite field approach. It's funny. The two homers he has here in the AFL, they were in the same game. I was at that game. Uh, Graham Pauly had hit a monster homer and he hit two, but I will note he hit both of those homers off of lefties. Um, he, uh, Marcy did. So he can hit both sides. He can push it opposite field. His homers came off of lefties. He's an aggressive base dealer who is perfect here. He had more walks and strikeouts in the, in the full season. And he's got 12 more walks here, though you've seen a little bit more of an aggressive approach, 17 strikeouts, which I think is near the top. That's uh, not really at the top. I didn't even realize that Cam Cauley has 26 strikeouts here, <laughs> but he's been a little bit more aggressive, I think, in his overall approach to try to have a little bit more pull, but six doubles. That leads the Arizona Fall League. He leads in stolen bases. This is another one of those guys that's kind of been near the top of whatever that MVP discussion would be. I I view him not in a one-for-one, kind of like how I did with Lars Nupar. They're not like the same player. Lars, I think, is like a really... Well, you know, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say Lars is a really good contact player. Marcy's a, a really good contact player. Like I said, I love his opposite field approach that he's not going to get beat on the outside of the plate. Uh, he trusts his bat speed enough and his ability to get the bat in the zone that he can push the ball opposite field. And he's not trying, like Graham Pauly specifically, 
has really not looked good. Look, looked good lately. Graham Polly, the first week was dominating. You would throw something. The pe- guys thought they could just throw something down the middle, and he was destroying stuff. Now he's getting pitched to, and he is struggling. He's getting on top of pitches, grounders up to first, a lot of ground balls, not making good contact. He, you can tell his pick, pitch recognition is not there, and he's an aggressive approach. He's trying to murder baseballs. Jacob Marcy is not doing that. Jacob Marcy is more of a contact approach. So maybe as I talk it out, maybe it is a little bit more like a Lars Newbar, and they're leading him off a lot. He's a table setter. He can steal bases. He has some power. He's like a bulky if you have a wrestling fan, he reminds me of like Taz. He's just like this bulky, smaller-ish guy. But I don't know if his approach, kind of what you're talking about with the EVs, are ever going to equate to elite power numbers. But when you see him as like a 15, 40 guy in the minors, yeah, I think that might be the general space of what it is. And, you know, if he continues to hit, he's going to be like a Corbin Carroll type of guy hitting at the top of the lineup. He won't be Corbin Carroll, but there are some similarities, actually, maybe even a little bit in the end approach of his swing that's kind of like that. But I think Jacob Marcy, because not a lot of people knew him, he's a great guy to pay attention to now in the offseason, pending you know how people are, the type of people that are listening to your podcast, if it's from like a fantasy baseball standpoint, he'd be a guy that I'd want to invest in because I think he could move up quick. I think this is a guy that... He's a 22-year-old. I think he got to, let me take a look here. Yeah, he hit double A this year. This is a finishing school. He could go back to double A, but I think they could push him to triple A. And if this team makes any big moves, he might be the type of guy that they get up in the majors sooner rather than later because he doesn't, he walks more than strikes out. He can steal bases. He could be a table setter. And he's not like Graham Pauly, who's selling out for power. He will sell out for contact. And I think that's affecting those EVs. So, yeah, maybe to your point, there's a question about what type of offensive impact will be there. I think the worst case scenario is he's getting on base and he's stealing bases and scoring runs. That's good to know. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to get some looks on him and. I don't know if this is something that you would say is true, but something I've heard about him again, not something I've ever seen, but it's not that he's super, super fast in his pure foot speed. It's just that he gets elite jumps, which I personally prefer as long as you've got a baseline of average or better speed. Like that translates more to baseball to me. And it's also going to translate to defense a bit better. Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with that. Like he re that's something that um, Zach Veen does really well too. Zach Veen has a really, really, I mean, he's also like super long and lean and long arms. And he, he got these incredible lead off uh, jumps on a lot of these players. And yeah, I'd say that he's definitely not the fastest guy. Marcy isn't the fastest guy out here in the AFL, especially not when guys like Victor Scott are out here, but mm-hmm. he definitely knows what he's doing. And I also do this thing on my Patreon. I have this live Arizona notebook that I just, I'll write some live notes on players and uh, one of the notes I put, by the way, it's not about the stolen bases, but on 10-10 on Marcy, I had noted that he attacks the zone, punches the ball opposite field. He hit for a single and he had just missed a homer to the wall on that same day on a pull power one. So, I mean, the, the doubles are also almost homer. Uh, walls can be a little bit smaller here as well. So, you know, and that's maybe not something to read into, especially with lower EVs and stuff. But he's a massively intriguing player that's shining out here. And not to like be like every player is awesome, but like I would be invested in Marcy. That's good to know. That's an endorsement. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's a realistic endorsement, which is what I like. Uh, kind of power through a couple real quick here. I know you said you hadn't seen too much of Gabriel Rincones. Uh, he's someone that impressed me a good amount. I liked him a bit coming out of Florida Atlantic last year. And uh, 
I tend to be lower on the Philly system as a whole. Uh, so it's kind of fun when I'm in on a guy a little bit. He didn't have a huge year in the regular season this year, but kind of surprised me with 32 stolen bases. That was definitely the most surprising thing for me across a uh, low and high A. I'm but in the fall league, looking at his fall league numbers, right? I didn't realize they were this good. Like I literally saw him the other day. I don't think he got a hit when I saw him. I had just haven't paid enough attention and he didn't play one of the Scottsdale games I played. I'll, you're going to read it off here, but I'm actually shocked looking at these numbers. And I, yeah, I will read it off. And he's, he's, you know, fresh 22 year old drafted last year and kind of a guy that was a bit behind developmentally because he played JC ball and then played it for Atlantic hadn't played against the highest levels yet. Uh, but he, I, I did catch a bit of his at bats in the fall. He's one of the guys that I have seen because, you know, I do the uh, prospects live daily sheet Wednesdays and he's had some big Tuesdays. So I got to watch some tape on him and was pleasantly surprised by him, but he slashed in uh, 327, 462, 577. Got five doubles, a triple, two home runs, a cr- and uh, he's uh, eight for nine stolen bases with a really high 18.4% walk rate and just 24.6% strikeout rate. So pretty reasonable with that walk rate. And uh, yeah, he's just someone that I, I kind of expected to be a guy who strikes out a lot, hits a lot of really, really hard line drive, but maybe doesn't have the best launch angle for home runs and was just going to be a big guy with a big arm in right field and maybe could work out in the Phillies, maybe not. Uh, I think I'm higher on him now. He's someone that's raising for me. He looks more athletic. He looks like he's taken to the strength and conditioning quite a bit. I, I don't think the stolen bases are pure fluke, which is kind of what I assume when I looked at the stat line at first. And, you know, I think there's real power. There's a big guy about 6'3", 230. Yeah. Um, with a big arm in right field that I think will play in right field and help get him at bats. And if he can learn to just hit with a little bit, a little bit better launch angle, I think there's some pretty big upside here. So yeah, I he's someone that's raising for me. One at bat, not seeing anything in the air. Uh, I have to go back and look at my video too. I've got a bunch of video stored. I just don't recall anything getting in the air, but I don't think I've been at the quote Gabriel Rincon good games. Uh, but I will say he's definitely got a uh, gorgeous mustache. He's just got a big <laughs> mustache that he's rocking out. A plus mustache of any player out, out here in the fall league. That raises him up like a full five on a future value right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if he, maybe he'll be a closer someday or something like that. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Sterling Thompson. Guy that I liked a lot in Florida. He was he was a big my guy. I think you mentioned him a bit earlier. Playing some second base, played a switch, playing a lot of third base this year. Played a lot of outfield in college. Uh, maybe not someone. I, he's someone that I thought would have more in game power by now. He's not someone that's like necessarily crushing the ball, though. He does have a ninety five point six average exit velocity in the fall league, but he's more a guy that just hits everything really hard. I thought he had a beautiful swing. I'm a big fan of that. Don't expect him to ever be a stolen base threat, but. He's hitting 354, 492, 521 in the fall league. Had a really strong high A start to the year. Kind of fell off a little bit in double A, which will happen with Rockies prospects when they get to Hartford a little bit. That's a tough hitting environment. But uh, just someone that I think just makes really good, really consistent contact and is just going to shoot the gaps and has a swing that I think will translate well. Uh, so he's he hasn't hit a home run in the fall league, but six extra base hits and walking a ton, really good plate discipline. Curious to get your thoughts on him because he's someone that I do like. Oh, yeah, I absolutely love him. And I've talked to him a couple times. He's actually just missed a couple homers. One of the very, I think it was like the first day. Go on my Twitter because there are multiple videos of his swings. And the very first one, it literally hit like the tippy top of the wall. He had this pull swing, crush the ball. And I was like, I think I literally say it in the video. I'm like, that's gone. So he's just missed a couple out here. You nailed it. Your assessment is right on. Everything he hits is hard. Every single day I see him, he makes contact. He's getting a hit every single day. Week 
one and two, definitely two, it was, or I guess it was week one. Week one, it was all second base. Week two, it was a lot of outfield. And he said, yeah, like I mentioned, he was very comfortable with that. No issues playing around. I think he enjoys it. But it doesn't affect his approach. It doesn't affect his offensive game. They've hit him near the top of the lineup. He's been hitting lefties, which I've loved to see. The one homer, I think, was off of a lefty. He actually has four stolen bases out here. Um, I kind of agree with you. I don't think he's going to be a threat on the base paths, but I think he can be. He's not the biggest guy in the world. Like, I got to tell you, they list him at 6'4", 200. I don't know. Like, maybe it's where I've been standing next to him. I'm not sure if that's the case. I don't know if that matters, but, like, I think this is probably a 15 to 20 homer guy, pending whatever changes happen. I think he can mask some of it with how freaking hard he hits the ball at all times. I think he would be a phenomenal number two hitter as well. I don't think the um I don't think the strikeouts are a crazy problem. I think he gets on base enough. He makes enough contact. He's a good lefty hitter. If you had a righty leading off and a righty hitting three, I think he'd be a great prototypical number two hitter. He's position flexible. I really like Sterling Thompson a whole lot. And I think he he's not a five tool player. I think he's probably more of a two and a half high tool player where, you know, maybe he's going to really thrive with runs and maybe he hits for high batting average and the rest are just kind of average. But I think he's a sneaky player that should jump up simply because of the way he makes contact. And uh, I'm again, I'm, I'm being very positive, but I'm a, I'm a very big fan of him. He was one of the very first guys out the fall. I was like, holy crap, I love this guy, especially when you go to game after game after game. I've literally been to a game every day, but two in the Arizona fall league. And I've gone to some days where it's multiple games. So I've seen Sterling a lot. It is always contact. It's always a loud, hard contact. And for a lefty to also hit off a lefties, I don't know. He's just one of those players I kind of became enamored with. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I think for me too, like your home ballpark does factor into things. I think everyone just assumes cores is always a positive. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I, I think that a lot of people think, oh, home runs will translate great to cores. Sometimes they do, but generally the rest of the uh nl west they do not translate to yeah. so you got those power hats but hitter, though. that's a cool that's thing. what i'm like, saying is i think not. yeah i think the real benefit to cores is how big that outfield is and how much ground those outfielders have to cover and how much the ball kind of floats out there and i think his swing and his approach is really set up to take advantage of that and just shoot the gaps constantly and then when he's not playing in cores and he's playing in you know at san francisco la etc some of these marine layer ballparks I think he's still really well set up to shoot the gaps there too. So yeah, I, I'm really high on him. I think it was one of the better fits for Colorado that I've seen them pick in quite a while. So I really agree with that too, because the, the he's got this very prototypical swing. There's not a lot of business. There's not something you're going to pick apart like, oh, well, he's going to get behind there. Or there's not, there's not timing mechanisms like some of these players with high leg kicks. It's very easy. It's very explosive. And he seems like he barrels everything. I, we do get some stat cast data at Salt River where he's playing, but you, know, you get into the majors. I think this is going to be a barrel guy. <laughs> I really do. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a guy with a, uh, you, know, you could maybe even look at him and people think like, oh, this might be on the lower. No, I think this is going to be a double digit barrel percentage player in the majors. And with that type of contact and that type of hard hit and just his approach, I think it's going to equate to really good things. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, so, Beautiful swing, Sterling Thompson, going to a very uh, different swing uh, with uh, Chase DeLauder, who's a guy that I have never been f- able to figure out if I'm 
all the way in or all the way out on, but I know it's one of those two things. And I, it seems to go back and forth. He's got one of the worst mechanical swings I've ever seen work. I think is how I'm going to put it because I've seen worse swings, but I've never seen a worse swing that it works. <laughs> um, and I think part of that is he does have really good plate discipline. I, you know, yes, from football powerhouse right now, James Madison. Um, I do remember, you know, he was someone that, uh, Cape Cod league stood out quite a bit. I think Jeff Ponce is still a huge believer in him for that reason. Uh, and, uh, over at baseball America, he's having kind of an up and down fall league. He's hitting 225, 333, 367, not terrible, but not great. He does have two home runs. He's four, four stolen bases. He moves pretty well for a guy who's about six, four, two forty. Definitely a very big guy. Almost twice as many walks of strikeouts, barely striking out at all. And, and in the regular season, didn't strike out much at all. Had a pretty strong debut after coming off an injury in high A uh, for the Guardians. But it's just one of those things where, uh, what do you think? If Is that swing going to work? Or is the plate discipline like good enough that it'll work decently? Or is it just one of those things where when he's facing MLB pitching, there's just no way that can work? Yeah, so he's tough for me because I came out the first week and I just came to the determination. I'm like, he's the best player here. Like I think he had the best combination of all the stuff that I think he was like, this is a major league player. This might even, I don't know if this be a star, but this is going to be like the best player that's here. It doesn't look good right now because he's in a funk. He's in a big old funk. Everything he did was in the first week. You couldn't beat him. Like you said, he has got one of the best eyes here. There's, um, we had like the, the, was it the ABS system where these guys can challenge the hitters and catchers can challenge. There's a lot of challenges that are happening out here doesn't happen with Delauder. Like Delauder knows exactly where the pitch is going to go in. That's an elite level thing. It's turned kind of bad. I will say, I just does to talk in here. I do think there's something going on with some of those guys. That there's a really bad vibe kind of in that Peoria team. I think some guys, maybe they're tired or in their head about stuff. I don't know. Like there's personalities that come from teams and Peoria has got maybe the worst personality of any of the teams right now. So Maybe there's something in that, but like the struggle on top of stuff has been bad. So getting back to the swing, I guess it I, it was one of the first things I noticed in like multiple looks. And what you're talking about is there's no follow through and you'll have guys that, you know, wherever they're swinging, they'll swing through. And then sometimes you have the helicopter, which comes behind, like Wanda Franco would have done, uh, Geraldo Perdomo, they bring behind their bat. You get uh, Corbin Carroll, who has full extension, the arm comes all the way back. And then there are some guys, uh, Brennan Davis was doing this, and DeLauder does it, where he gets, you know, it, it's out of the zone, and then the bat stops. And then maybe it comes up, and there's no follow through to back shoulder. And that's, it's actually similar to trout, but it doesn't look as pretty as trout's. It looks a little bit more disjointed with where his hand. It's got some Charles Barkley to it. <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of Charles Barkley with it, but it ends, it just ends. And like it all, it has a, um, yeah, it's funny you say that because I described it to somebody as like, oh. like he's using an iron. Like it looks like he's using an iron, like a chip shot. And, mm -hmm. but it works because he he's a big human being. He makes really good decisions. He makes sure when the bat, does that weird thing. It's in the zone and making contact. And that's what makes it work. And that's how, at least in my mind, the confusion is of like, how does this guy make it work? It's because the bat path, he puts it in the right spot, even though it looks odd. I'm kind of thinking the struggles are a little bit about not playing every day, a little bit about the passiveness. He's got double the walks and strikeouts here. The pitching got a little bit worse 
um, in these last couple weeks. And, and now you've got a couple of the big pitchers that are out of there. And there's just a little bit of passiveness. And I don't know. There's some guys that uh, kind of get in their head. I this That's just a totally personal thing I'm talking about. I feel like there might be something in the approach that's just kind of gotten to him. And, and you don't play every single day to get through it. But if you're talking about the intangibles, he can run, which he's actually kind of aggressive on the base path. He's still four bases out here, even though he has 11 hits. But the inconsistencies are a little bit worrisome, but I, I'm personally going to be a little bit more, I don't know, maybe it'll be dumb, but I'm going to be a little bit more um, subjective about it. I guess that I'm not going to look at the 223 batting average. I'm going to look at this player that I think physically he has it. He has a great approach. He can run. He's got crazy raw power. The only thing is that swing and what that's going to do at the major league level. But I also kind of think the way he swings and that non-follow through allows him to cheat a little bit. And I I think it just might hurt his power long term might be the th- I, I think he can get through that from a contact perspective. And um, I'm going to kind of hold that. Maybe I won't be right that he's the best player here, but if he continues to struggle here, He'll be one of my number one buys in the offseason because I think you saw him really catch fire after coming off of an injury this year and playing consistently. I think this is going to push into next year. And I I, re- I really, truly think like this can be a major impact five tool player at the major league level. Yeah, it's interesting. I he, For me, he's one of those players where I just don't want to own any shares of him. And I don't, I'm not low on him. I'm not high on him. I just, I know that I struggle to evaluate him. And I guess my concern long-term is that everything else is so good that it's going to take until it's too late for him to realize he's going to have to make a swing change. And then he's going to have to do that in the pros. And that, and, and, that, that, and there's a developmental process that goes with that. I buy that. Like, let, let me give you one. Let me actually talk negative for a second. Here's a guy that I just, I haven't liked at all. And I got, I get chirped about a lot. I've not liked Carson Williams. And Carson Williams is more technically sound than DeLauder. Like, kind of an upright stance. He has the little leg turn. He just follows, complete follow through at the at the higher end. And statistically, he's hitting 292. You know, he looked pretty good. I don't particularly love Carson Williams. I think the decision-making has been bad. I'm also trying to be cognizant of like AFL and being tired and another guy that might have some stuff in his head out here and maybe not wanting to be here anymore, but he's late on pitches. He hits a lot of stuff up the middle. He's shown absolutely no loft for ability for power out here, which was definitely something that was a part of his game. He has two extra base hits of his 14. He's striking out a ton. Like I have trouble because he looks more technically sound and has been a five to player in the minors and he looks like garbage, to my eyes, every time I see him, he looks like garbage here, compared to DeLauder, who had an incredible first week, really bad last week, and has some weird technical stuff with it, but I think is a better pure hitter. And a, he has the physically better raw power. I think Carson Williams has to have all things clicking to tap in. DeLauder's one of those guys that will mistakenly hit homers. That's why he can golf swing some things and they can fly out 400 feet. So, like... I should like Carson Williams more than I like DeLauder, and that's not the case right now. Like I, I think I think Carson Williams might have more longer standing issues on being a big impactful player. Where I think if DeLauder can get the very little things figured out, I think he can be a next level, like number three hitter for the Guardians. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of tools there. And like I said, the reason I don't want to own any shares of him is I don't want to be invested in, I, I want to just root for him. I like the guy quite a bit. Yeah. So I want to root for him and not be physically stressed if he's not succeeding, you know? <laughs> uh, Carson Weaven, he's someone, my previous podcast, which is uh, I'll be putting out today with Mason McRae. I think he had him eighth overall. And that's a real life list, you know, and a lot of it has to do with the defensive value. But even he said, you know, like, and I, some I agree with, I've been lower on Carson Wentz as well. The swing man and some of the swing decisions just just aren't great. Everything else is there. Power, speed, obviously that's my, a phenomenal that's my problem. shortstop. That's, that's what I haven't seen. And that's what I'm, I'm trying not to, I don't aggressively bury or rise people off of little small things. And and of anybody I've been, you know, as long as I've been doing this, you know, like you can't see a guy once or twice and, and make a full on decision on him. Every time I see Carson Williams, it's the decision making I hate. And that's why he had a 30 plus percent strikeout percentage in low A. And then all of a sudden he started walking again and he was better at the higher levels. And it's just more of that here. He makes really bad decisions, but he definitely has the tools. He can run. There is power. There's bat speed. But the decision making to get there is what I worry about. But it's also at the end of the year. Maybe the guy doesn't want to be here. Maybe that's playing a part of it as well. And that's where you would make a mistake if you completely buried him. And I mean, you know, if Mason says he's at eight two, you have to respect Mason knows what the hell he's talking about. So that is a big respect game, but I do not have him there. But part of that is also weighted. I wasn't ginormous on him before. And I really don't ever see him do anything. And I've seen a lot of Peoria here. I literally just keep missing whatever these big hit games are. I get shocked every time I look at his stats. I'm like, you guys hitting 292? I would have guessed 200 from what I've seen. Yeah. Well, that's what I would have guessed just projecting it out, too. Yeah. And it's, you know, to be fair, that's a lot of that's baked in that that's he's a really good defensive shortstop, which on a real life list is going to move you up quite a bit. Absolutely. Wanted to dip into a little bit the Montgomery's on this list uh benny and colson separately we'll go benny first because that's kind of a bit more fun kind of a meh year you know a guy who's the top 10 pick you know always stood out there's been, there's been kind of a few of these uh high school guys uh coming out of pennsylvania with ridiculous bat speed recently have kind of struggled in in their adjustments but ben montgomery was just a, if the hit tool's there everything else is super loud and so far the hit tool hasn't really been there but not been terrible um, kind of had mediocre year, but in the fall league hitting 373, 468 with a 510 slug has two doubles, a triple and a home run in 12 games, six for eight stolen bases. Another guy who's a big kid with a ton of bat speed. I, to me is a lot of swing and miss in that, but hasn't been horrible in the fall league. 14.5% uh, walk rate with a 27.4% strikeout rate. Underlying data, not quite as good. Really high end exit velocities at the high end. You know, I think 105.8 90th percentile is pretty ridiculous. 55% hard hit rate. Average exit velocity, just 86.5. Kind of bears out a lot what I see in my looks personally, where it's just, if you catch him in the right game, you're going to be like, oh yeah, that's a that's top 25 prospect fantasy. All the tools are there. In other games, you're just like, he just looks a little bit lost. Lots of soft contact. Kind of curious to get your thoughts on Benny Montgomery. I thought you said it great. I, that, that's exactly the point. He had a homer the other day. I, I had, was doing some of my video and I wasn't able to video it, but yeah, that's a lot of what it was. The first thing that stood out to me was how freaking big he got. I mean, he is all the six foot five, maybe even six foot six. He looks way bigger than he was a couple years ago, but he looks stiffer. To me, I noted this in my notebook. This is something weird is I said, he's doing something I don't recall with his hands where he has them up at his shoulders 
and then he clicks them down to his chest and then moves it forward. It's like a double click thing. It, it's not Adam Hazley, if you remember, had this weird mm -hmm. yeah. kind of like almost like too swimmy thing. It's not that, but it's like an extra move that I, as I noted, I said, it looks unnatural-ish and I didn't like it. Yet he's hitting really well here, but I feel like that is all part of this timing mechanism that goes on with Benny and heavy timing guys. I'm not trying to be like, everybody's got a form of timing, but I think there's some players that are way more attached to timing that I just feel like it leads to a lot of, like you said, weak contact. And he has the physical attributes to do big things. He's, you know, huge guy. You, you can definitely see the power, but I'm not in love with him. I don't, I'm not letting the fall league boost him up dramatically. I had really lowered him like a lot. So I'm going to move him up because I do think he's finding his, um, his comfortability, if you will, here. And I think he's, you know, he's a big, huge human being that can run. So you get him on the base pass, that's good. But like you said before, he's kind of inconsistent and the top end is awesome. The low end is bad. And I think that is who he is. I think he's an inconsistent player that if on a good streak can roll, but I don't like the things are going on with his, his hands. And I think the timing is weird and I just don't see him as a consistent hitter. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think it's really interesting you mentioned Adam Hazley because if I remember correctly, he was a Virginia guy as well. But I had in my notes, it looked like he got like the old, like, you know, like late, late 2010s Virginia, like hitting coaching. Like there's just the weird mechanical things in there that you're just like, well, you wouldn't really coach someone to do that, would you? You know, sort yeah, of I, thing. I should pull the video. Like I should pull one of the videos that I have. It, it, it's very minor, but like I said, it was just like, in the process of the pitch coming, you're going like you're you're up and then you're down and you're moving forward. And like, I don't I don't like double moves with swings. And that always kind of gets me. like, I don't like that more. I, I dislike that more than the Delauder stuff. You know, the Delauder stuff is like I, my, mine is more about like his weird not follow through. This is double moves that I think just don't help a batter. And I don't really understand it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, someone I do like quite a bit who's having a weird fall league is uh, Colson Montgomery, who for me, top 10 prospect for me. I, I am I am in on Colson Montgomery. He has been the whole time. I thought he's come quite up a bit on lists, but I noticed you know he was in the 50s on a lot of lists uh, midway through this year, probably because he lists a lot of time with injury and you know back injuries are scary. But having a weird fall league, hitting 269, 291. Uh, 539. So showing the power, he's got a double, two triples, and three home runs across 12 games. But the weird thing is he's got a walk and 17 strikeouts in 55 plate appearances, which for record, like across high A, and he's now 21, across high A and double A this year, he hit 287, 456, 484 with 14 doubles, three triples, eight home runs. Not a ton of stolen, never going to be a stolen base guy. Uh, but across 64 games, had 19% both walk and strikeout rate. So a lot of the times when I see this, the first thing I think of, because a lot of people will do this with some of their top prospects and follies. I remember Noel V. Marte was a guy like this. They'll just tell them, come out, hey, you're swinging at the first two pitches no matter what. We want you to be more aggressive. You're doing this right now. But I haven't been able to see him live at all. So I'm kind of curious to see, is that what's going on? Or is this just a really weird blip for someone who's historically had a really strong approach? And that's, see, that's interesting you're saying points. that. I wish I had had that before I came on because I might have like, gone back to my videos to see if that's the case. Cause I don't know if that, that is the case, but he's definitely more aggressive than I've seen. And you're totally right. I remember Alec, I think it was Alec Thomas had said 
that the Diamondbacks did that with them in the minor leagues, but they weren't allowed to swing until two strikes. There was like a certain period of time for like a first month where it was like, or no, no, I'm sorry. It was, they were not allowed to swing at first pitches. Didn't matter what it was. Even if they wanted to be aggressive, they had to take first pitch uh, strikes, especially. So teams will do that type of thing. And Colson definitely looks way more aggressive out here, which has definitely, which is equated to some of like mixed results. Uh, I've definitely seen him swing through some stuff. Yeah, he's not a big run. I, I wish I liked him. I want to like him more. I'm not in love. I do think there is a power bat there. Uh, I, I'm a little unsold on how impactful it'll, it will be, but he's younger. He is also one of the younger players. I mean, there's guys that are like 26 that are out here. So I'm trying to be cognizant of that. Um, he's just been hyper aggressive, but he's way more technically sound than a lot of players. Beautiful loft. The Corey Seager stuff definitely exists. You know, there's definitely a Corey Seagerness to him. And I think he's one of the players that benefits as time goes on, that if he at least has a good idea of what's coming, his barreling equates to like big exit velocities like Corey Seager does. And Corey Seager was able to kind of retransform his game by absolutely just smashing baseballs and you would get results that would work better in your favor. And I think that's the same thing that's going on with Colson Montgomery. So if you really believe that he can be a you know 300 hitter, then I think he should be top 10. I'm not sold there, but it's not about his aggressive approach here. It's just more about his overall game and showing that he's going to be a high-end hitter and that he's going to be able to read breaking pitches really well. I think he works counts pretty good, but is he going to be able to hit a lot of off-speed stuff, not just work to a fastball count and then destroy that type of stuff? And I don't think we've seen enough of that him uh, of him yet, but he is he's not outside the top 50. He, I think I have him around the 30s So because he has the tools. It's just, this is more of a guy that's building into those tools than a lot of these other players that are out here. Yeah, I think a lot of that's fair. I, I think in my looks this year, man, he's, I, I've seen a lot, you know, obviously not in the fall league. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. It's very weird seeing that, but uh, he, I mean, a lot of his home runs have come off breaking balls. I thought he's kind of looked pretty locked in on breaking stuff. I don't know so much about fastball changeup. That's something a lot of hitters struggle with, uh, particularly lefties. But one thing I really like about him is you can tell he used to play basketball. He's not a fast guy, and he's you know really tall. He's what six three, six four, somewhere yeah, in that range. The part that, but he's just got that almost like a Joe Burrow kind of movement thing, where like maybe not the fastest, but everything is just so fluid and quick reaction. That's a time great wise. way to put. It. I was literally about to say the the fluidness definitely is there. It's a it's a smooth from ball release and start your process to end process. It is a very smooth process that he doesn't feel like he's uh, behind. That's the thing. Like if he misses, he misses, but it all works in one really great motion with a guy that, I mean, he, you could say that he's probably got 30 plus home run power in there. It's just in the frame at least. Yeah. Yeah. In the frame. Exactly. But as a 21 year old kid, if you want to start imagining and projecting, like you could see a world where there's 30 plus homers from that shortstop position. And that's where the Corey Seager stuff comes in. Yeah. And that's how Seager is as well. It's very, you know, fluid, quick motion. And that's how, um, that's what you see with Benny, uh, with Colson. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I do look into quite a bit is just athleticism more so than speed. And so he checks that box for me. Definitely someone I'm in on, but definitely something where I'm like, hmm, I kind of want to, I'm going to note this because early next year, I'm going to be looking to see, you know, yeah. what, what exactly happened there. Was that just a fall league fluke or is that something to keep an eye on going forward? And especially an organization like the White Sox, where you never fully know what's going to happen with prospects. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Moving to some uh, pitchers real quick. Uh, some of the best out there. 
just want to touch on really quickly. I know you've seen Jackson Job uh, live. He's for me. He's the number two pitcher in minor league baseball right now. I have him twenty first overall. If you want to convince me he's the top pitcher, you could probably do that. I'm bullish on the whole Detroit Tigers system development right now, which is not something I've been able to say in a very very long time. Uh, he had a really strong year this year. You know, obviously coming off of an injury kind of blew me away. Only got sixty four minor league innings, but incredibly dominant in them. Probably the most ridiculous aspect was an eighty four strikeout to six walk rate. Uh, during the season between uh, move from low A all the way up to double A and 16 starts having a strong fall league, maybe not quite as dominant as his actual regular season, but still showing that really strong, uh, basically KBB rate 19, five, which for the fall league is impressive. <laughs> fall league, you have a different standard. Uh, curious to hear how you think Jackson Job's looking. Yeah. Well, and, and let me uh, add one disappointing thing. It's, that's a past tense. He had a good fall league because Jackson Job and Ricky Tiedemann are both done in the fall league, uh, which was a super big disappointment for me. They actually dueled against each other on Friday, I think it was. And that was it. And they got sent home. And I was shocked about it because I thought those guys needed more innings. I didn't think they would end it. I thought they would push them out. So yeah, I've definitely talked about both of these guys. I'm going to tell you this. One of my biggest disappointments is I didn't get to talk. I planned to talk to Ricky Tiedemann this week and now he's gone. Um, Cause I wanted to, I really, and I'm going to just throw Tiedemann in here as well, because I, I he was next them. up anyway. So yeah, I use them as one and two here because I, one thing I've always done right or wrong. I don't try to be the, you know, long-term scout and maybe they do it different, but I've always used players against each other to give myself benchmarkers. For many years, I used Mackenzie Gore as this high school pitcher to compare other pitchers against to give myself frames of reference on pitches and approach and stuff like that. And it's helpful to me. And maybe it's helpful to other people, maybe not. And these two, I got to just use against each other. And I thought it was really helpful. It was beneficial for me to figure out where I want them because I had Tiedemann as my top guy. And I wanted to talk with him because Tiedemann is doing some stuff that really worried me. And it's leading to when I put out my next rank update, I will probably have Jackson Job above him because here were the differences. Um, Jackson Job, power fastball, as everybody knows, hit high 90s, can push it to mid 90s, 96, consistently sat there. He did struggle with the command of it, which bothered me a little bit, specifically the fastball, but he was working on a cutter out here. And I think that led a little bit to it, but he kept trying to throw these high fastballs and he really struggled with the command of the high fastball. And I think he let that go after like his second start. But what I loved about him, obviously the big spin numbers, he showed better command overall of four pitches. I thought he was a bulldog that was out there, out here. His, his main problem in my mind was my mind was his predictability. I thought he was a more predictable pitcher. You know, it would be like fastball early, and then he would try to throw, you know, a, a cutter or slider inside. And then, you know, it was just the same stuff. Like, I felt like you could get a better read on him, which is totally fixable. Ricky Tiedemann, I thought, had the best singular pitch here in his changeup. I thought his changeup was ridiculous, and he could command it whatever whenever he wanted. And he would pitch behind. So I thought he was a smart, being a smarter pitcher because he could pitch from behind at any point where I thought you could really kind of, I think, I think hitters had a better opportunity to figure out what was coming with Job, even though he had a better arsenal and Ricky Tiedemann would pitch behind, but his fastball, his fastball was sitting 92 every single game. He pushed it to 94, could not command it whatsoever. I also noted on Twitter that 
he was tipping. And Lance Brozdowski, he didn't push back, but he just said, he said, I don't know if um, if it's a little bit overplayed about the, the arm angle stuff. But at the same time, he noted the seven inch difference between the release point of the fastball to the sweeper or changeup would be bigger than any difference of, of any major league pitcher. No major league pitcher had that big of a differential in release points. Bryce Miller was the number one at six. Mm-hmm. So the whole point was if I, yes, it's with a camera or whatever, but if I'm a hitter and I know this ahead of time and I'm watching release points, if I can figure out what pitch is coming, that doesn't work. That seems bad. Yet he had amazing results, Tiedemann did. So I say all of this to say Tiedemann has three pitches. He he had a really hard time commanding high fastballs, but he can pitch from behind. And I thought his breaking pitches were awesome, but I don't know what the hell the thing was about. Is he masking this arm injury that's been floating around with him? His fastball got on guys and give him extra credit for being so dominant, but that fastball did not seem elite. Maybe it was the actual action that made it better. But at the end of the day, Job commanded better had a much bigger fastball, was working on a fourth pitch, and was an absolute bulldog out there. Even though Tiedemann's, I think, results ended up being a little bit better, I probably would side on Job long-term because there are some Tiedemann worries. And I know Keith Law mentioned he's going to be a reliever. I think that's I don't think that's necessarily the case. But I also worry a little bit about a 92-mile-an-hour fastball and a guy that's got really big differences between those pitches. Maybe he's Bryce Miller, or maybe he is going to be relief. I don't know, but I've come off of the shine of Tiedemann being the best pitcher in the minor leagues, even though he's he showed his part of what was in the minors. Under the hood, things seemed a little bit more worrisome, where I just think Job needs to you know, the pitch mix needs to change up a little bit and maybe become a little less predictable because he definitely got hit. He got hit hard in some points as well. And he left some pitches in, but he's a super young pitcher who missed a lot of innings. And um, it was a fascinating matchup to see both of them. But I I might be with you. I might be Job over Tiedemann after this. But I I really don't want to be dismissive that Tiedemann can't be nothing because I really think he can. He's young. And he he was having results for some suboptimal things that we should give him credit for and not just only ding him. We shouldn't only ding him because of the release point on the fastball. Look at the results he got out of that. So that's a lot out of those two pitchers, but those are kind of my takes off of them. Yeah. And I think a lot of that mirrors me personally. I, I did notice I caught that whole uh, discourse about the tip pitching and or pitch tipping. And I, I, I see that too. And I also, to me, that's something that's really important. I'm, I'm big on that also with draft prospects, stuff like that. Like, deception is such an important part of the game, the ability to tunnel. And I, I think that release points have a lot to do with that. It doesn't have to be exact, but it has to be at the point where you can't fully tell. All I wanted uh, to ask him was about tunneling. Being like, is yeah. anybody talking to you about like, like uh, that's it's so funny. That's all I wanted to, to get into. And he does it well with his, with his fastball changeup too, I think. But it's for me, especially with lefties, like I throw out any like results for a, a lefty that's got a decent fastball and a, and a plus changeup, like you just see like, you know, Eli Morgan, people like that, right? They just dominate, especially the lower levels, but pretty much the full minor leagues. They'll have ridiculous strikeouts rates that it just doesn't work in the pros. I've always been a little bit lower on non-split changeups translating, which is probably weird because I'm a Mariners fan. So I'm, you know, living with a world where I got to see Felix Hernandez in his prime and I'm still seeing Luis Castillo right now pretty much dominate on just a fastball changeup mix. 
but it's just how I am. It's something I found that, especially with lefties, doesn't translate super well. Like so my big thing with him is if he could, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it, like if he was like a gallon, you know, and it's like gallon will throw like a change up and he'll throw it in first counts and stuff like that. But then you could command your fastball at all points. I would feel better about it. But that was the problem. He couldn't command his fat. His fastball command was at 92 and it still wasn't pinpoint. You try to dial it up and that thing was going all over the place. That's where my big worry with Tiedemann was, was you can have a suboptimal fastball from a velocity standpoint, but then you got to give us something else. You got to also be able to like really pinpoint the corners like a Kirby has high uh, uh, velocity on the fastball. But it just it seemed like exactly like you said, it's something that is going to get caught up. He's going to get caught up to. And I just wanted to know how aware of this are you? Is this about masking an injury until the offseason? What were the reasons behind that? I will tell you with him leaving kind of does make me think maybe they just wanted to get some five inning games under his belt and then get him the hell out of here because they want that arm to rest. It maybe gives yep. a little bit more credence to um, what he was doing was to protect his arm, maybe a little bit more than, um, you know, show off his stuff. And they're, they're a cautious org. I think they were very cautious here with Brandon Barrier as well. But yeah, the big thing for me too with him is that as someone who's by far a primarily a fastball changeup pitcher, the fact that he's had multiple injuries, that's concerning to me for durability because it's not like he was snapping off a ton of sliders. But I will say, I did catch his last start on the fall league, which was, uh, was that yesterday that was or the Friday. day before? That, and that, that, yeah. was a sweet, that was a more sweeper-heavy game, a slider-heavy Yeah, game. and his his slider, that's the first time I've ever seen his slider flash plus for me. So that's, that's encouraging. If, if you can yeah. tell me that he's going to have a legitimate plus slider, that he can throw out there maybe 20% of the time, 15% of the time, even like that to keep off of it. Then I'd feel differently about him. I'm not super low on him. I have him 47th overall, which made him the sixth best pitcher in baseball for me, but he's just someone I've been a lot lower than consensus on the whole time. And I don't see anything to necessarily change that yeah, for myself. And for, and for me, it was, I had to move down a little bit because I, I thought the way he approached his strikeouts and everything was elite. And I had to just bring him down, but I, but I'm not going to, this is a future reliever. Like anybody can be a reliever. I wouldn't denounce that the possibility, but I'm not going to approach that. If anything, if people are going to take the discourse of, hey, Ricky Tiedemann has some stuff that's worried he might be a reliever and everyone starts freaking out, I would be a buyer. But you also have to know the inherent risk that's coming with uh, injury. Yeah, and I think being like a reliever, there's different levels of being a reliever. Like I think with with Tiedemann, like he could be a reliever, but he could be like a you know high leverage reliever, which I think adds a lot to floor. I think that's kind of undervalued. Or if, oh, he could still provide some fantasy value as a reliever. Whereas a lot of these guys, like if they're they're either going to be like a fifth starter or they're going to be a spot starter quad A type guy, and they're not going to be an impact reliever at any point. But like he's one of those guys. Also, like it could just be a thing away. Like you never know. He could have surgery and then could come back in the velos back. It could be the right pitching coach that gets a hold of him and has him do something. It could be like Job adding a pitch. I mean. A guy that that that's ta- that is that talented, and is also like we've mentioned, whatever the issues are, still performing at this really elite level. This is the development. This is the thing. This is what happened. This is why people are like, "Oh my god!" You know, can you believe that Brandon Fought got good again? It's like, yeah, I can because this is development. These guys are learning. Mackenzie Gore is becoming more of the pitcher that we saw when he was in high, coming out of high school, drafted by the Padres. 
even though there were huge bumps in the road, like this is a process. Fantasy owners don't want to hear it and don't care. And that doesn't mean anything to them. Oh, I, I, I want to only buy on the good and sell during the battle. Well, sometimes you have to just sit in the mud. And Tiedemann has the stuff to be a guy that might get there and might fully live to all the expectations. But there's just so much more worry. So it's it's about risk reward and also organizational. You know, do the Blue Jays have the right people? I'm not sure that that's the case right now. Like, yeah, I know you're sitting there being careful, but Alec Manoa on the on the pros, they've been pretty good pitcher development. I will say that. Yeah, well, outside of Alec there's Manoa. Manoa and stuff like that, but I think that's kind of an outside. But, but yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it's interesting. It's a it's a tough one to determine right now. Yeah. Uh, another tough one to determine. Who's a guy that I really liked? I was a huge, huge fan of that Rangers COVID season draft, even at the time, and it's just obviously looks better even in hindsight. But Takoa Roby, a guy out of I believe a. Uh, is it Pine Lake High School in Florida? I can't quite remember. But it's a guy I liked quite a bit coming out. Bit of a smaller guy, 6'1", 185. Not a huge guy, but someone that I've really struggled to figure out how I feel about. Because in my opinion, like we just mentioned Jackson Job, and he'd probably be the guy I'd choose for this. And Tiedemann, there's there's some big arms there this year. I think Takoa Roby might have the best pure stuff. I mean, for me, in my look, it's like a, it's a genuine plus fastball. I think the curveball might be a 70, at least at its best. It's a 70. It's like kind of an FU pitch, really. Like it's there, uh, not quite to the level of Job's slider, but it's, it's a dominant pitch. And then he also has, I think, a, at least will flash a plus slider and an above average changeup. Like there's four real pitches there. Command, more so than control, kind of come and go quite a bit. And you kind of seen it in the fall league. I think he's had two really dominant starts. And one just couldn't even get out of the first inning start that messed up all the statistics. But he's someone where I look at him, I'm like, man, that's probably a really dominant reliever. But if he can kind of get, and we started to see a bit more of it when he got traded to St. Louis, just throw it over the plate and see what happens sort of thing, which has been a trend in baseball right now. I've noticed in development is just, just throw strikes. Don't try to paint corners when you've got great stuff. He's someone that, man, like he could be like a legitimate SP2, SP3 at the pros, which I don't say lightly with the stuff that he has. And then I think if it does translate to a pen roll, he really does have that kind of FU pitch with some other stuff in it where he could be a closer. So it's tough for me to figure out because his his results have never matched his talent, but they don't really have to. Um, and so, yeah, I'm interested to see what you think of TK Roby. Yeah, I've only, I, well, now see, I saw him a decent amount in... Um, when he was with the Rangers, because he was out with the Rangers out here, and he definitely looked like he's starting to become a more confident pitcher. And I, I've, I think he's pitched a couple times here. I got to see a little bit of one. Haven't got to see a bunch of it, but I think you kind of nailed the approach that there is a there's an fu mentality of beat my stuff type of guy. Not all those. I mean, Tiedemann's kind of got that as well. There's kind of a all right, you can come beat my stuff as I've got three pitches that I'm comfortable three to four pitches that I'm comfortable throwing strikes. You know, I, I'll just throw it into the zone. You see if you can figure out what that is. What I'm getting at is like, he actually might be one of the better pure pitchers here. I'll still give that to Job, but I think he might be one of the better pure starters. And I would actually say, I think he has a better chance to be a starter than most out here simply because of the arsenal of plus stuff. And uh, to your point, you know, you could always move off of it. And we've seen starters that haven't, you know, 
ended up being like really great relievers. But uh, I'm a pretty big fan. I like the swing and miss. I love the fastball. I love the, how the secondaries come off of the fastball. Uh, I just haven't seen enough of him in the fall league to give any like new crazy notes that I would say, oh, this looks completely different. But he definitely feels I think he's at home here and he definitely seems very confident. Okay. Those are good notes. Those are good notes. Uh, speaking of some, we'll just kind of quick hitters on just some like pitchers. Real quick, Davis Daniels performing really well out here. In, he had a somewhat strong MLB debut as a reliever. He's someone that fantasy leagues, you know, 26 year old, I, you can't take fall league stats too seriously, but had a chance to start some games next year. So maybe a speculative pick through the available in 10. your league. He was the first person to strike out double digits in the fall league so far this year. Went six, struck out 10 in his first start. So, yeah, yeah, just someone who's kind of interesting. I remember he was a big deal at Auburn for a little bit, had some first-round buzz. But uh, the guy I really want to talk about a bit more, who I know you said you haven't really seen much, but a guy I liked a lot during the COVID season, didn't pitch much, uh, had Tommy John in, I believe, 2022, missed all last year, and only pitched a bit this year. I think got 12 games, but just 34 and a third innings. Like we said, the Blue Jays are pretty cautious with their guys. Decent results, 3.67 ERA, 1.194 whip, 33 Ks, 12 BBs. I think he's one of the best pure pitchers on the fall league right now, if if not the best. Uh, you know, sits around 93 with his fastball, gets that? up to 96. Uh, CJ, CJ Van, Van Eyck uh-huh, right? yeah, on the yeah, Blue yeah. Jays. Yeah. Um, not a crazy, not a crazy, you know, kind of fastball that's going to blow past you. He's never going to be a huge strikeout guy. Kind of kind of a gyro slider, power curve. We'll throw a change up as well. But he's a guy who's just that crafty sort of guy where none of his pitches are super dominant. But everything has really good movement. He knows how to sequence them really well. Uh, and I think it's kind of illustrated by the stat line here. It's pretty, you know, outlierish. He's had three games, uh, pitched uh, 11 and a third innings, 0.79 ERA, 1.147 whip. So higher whip than ERA in the fall, which obviously a little bit fluky, just 9K to 6BB. But I think he's one of those guys where the movement and the way he's able to sequence is always going to get him a ton of ground ball contact, soft contact. He's going to race a lot of base runners, not going to give up much hard hit. And uh, he's someone that I like and I think has a chance to pitch, you know, if he can get extended out and prove he's healthy again, just 24 years old, I think has a chance to pitch for the Blue Jays soon. And someone that I think could quietly pick up some wins in an organization like that, really well suited for that hitter's ballpark and pitching in the AL East and, Someone that I just like, and I think is really crafty. And, yeah, and uh, I think he's going to get the opportunity with Tiedemann coming out. You know, there's other guys that are going to get to step up and have more starts. And he'd only, like, quote, started one game. I think they're going to allow him to probably push some innings and go deeper. And he has held um, one of the lowest batting averages against out here as well, because it is, it's a kind of a, it's a deceptive stuff for guys to, um, for guys very difficult to pick up off. And he's a pretty interesting personality. I'll point out too, because I haven't got to see him pitch a lot. I've seen a decent amount of surprise, but you know, if I'd be lying, if I didn't say that three of those games were purposely targeted for Ricky Tiedemann and <laughs> he's a pretty big personality. He seems very comfortable out here, which I really like. And, uh, it's a pretty group, good group of pitchers. I mean, if you look at the stuff on that surprise team and just point out like Zach Mac- Maxwell is a big power fastball. Emiliano Teodo is a hundred plus <laughs> mile an hour fastball reliever. I mean, there's big movement. Bryce Hubbard definitely can um, uh, play with, uh, you know, play with spin. Like there's some there's some good spin and good stuff guys out here for these guys to rub off on. And um, CJ Van Eyck is probably one of the sneakier ones. Yeah. So just kind of a fun call out deeper leagues. Uh, he's a guy I would pick up and. I think has a chance to make a major league impact pretty soon. Uh, on the downside of things, talking about some of the bad, we'll go too deep, maybe five guys, maybe some quick hits, but uh, 
start off with Robert Hassel. I know we were talking a little bit about for the uh, podcast, uh, someone that we were both pretty high on coming out of the draft uh, when he went, I believe, seventh overall, if I remember correctly. Or was it, yeah, it was either seventh or eighth to uh, the Padres before being traded in the Juan Soto trade. Doesn't sound great. Doesn't sound great. Didn't look great this year. And uh, it's kind of a sad story. So interesting to get your takes, uh, live looks on Robert Hassel. Yeah, I'm I'm out and I hate being out because I want to like him and it's a complete L for me. I, I was always very defensive of like, oh, he's going to bounce back and the hit tool is the floor and blah, blah. You know, he can, he'll get big. He never got bigger. <laughs> he still looks the exact <laughs> same out here. He looks way behind on every pitch. It's it's gotten very formulaic too, where he's like got to get into the the foot, the st- has to body has to come up, and it's just he's always behind. He's behind on every pitch. It seems like he has absolutely no sense for what's coming. I think he did hit a homer the other day, but pitchers make mistakes out here. I am one hundred percent out on Robert Hassel, and I hate to say. And my my out by the way is like still having one little foot in of making him like a two hundred something prospect, but. He looks bad, and it's multiple years of – I have reference points of him with the Padres and then now, and he looks worse. It looks like he's regressed, and um, the pitch recognition is the most concerning, so um, I'm not interested, unfortunately, in Robert Hassel anymore. Yeah, and when you have that – when you don't have the super high-end tools, you need to have the floor, and when the floor goes, it's it's just kind of tough. So I think that, yeah, he's someone that, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to be super excited about right now. Uh, someone who I was decently excited about, someone I didn't know too much about coming into the year, but immediately started drawing a ton of comps to Kyle Manzardo, actually, is uh, Nathan Martorella of the Padres, who started off super strong, was kind of like the analytics guy, I would say, of that first base, you know, kind of analytics. You know, if, if he starts getting the stuff airborne, watch out sort of a thing. Uh, kind of fell off a little bit towards the end of the year and on the fall league, hitting 256, 341, 333. So, he just has six strikeouts and 44 plate appearances. So he's not like he's striking out a ton, but a 76.9% average exit velocity and just an 85.9% 90th percentile exit velocity. That's not going to get the job done as a first base only prospect. Uh, and just kind of disappointing. Uh, someone I haven't seen live since the beginning of the year where I thought he looked pretty good. I don't know if you've seen Martorell at all, yeah, but seen uh, I've seen him quite a few times. I never saw the Manzardo comps, and now hilariously, I get to see him play with Manzardo, and I still don't <laughs> see it. Uh, I, outside of like, he's like a bulky first baseman, similar size ish. I just don't really see it. I, I will say that Martorella seems to have a little bit more of a contact approach, which maybe that's part of the Manzardo stuff. I've seen him push opposite field. That's another one of those things. These guys I pay attention to when they're starting to not just be pull. He is not a pull heavy guy. That might also be equating to some of the really bad uh, average EVs here is it doesn't seem like he has, he doesn't have the aggressive home run approach that Kyle Manzardo does. Like Kyle Manzardo, you can tell he's like every pitch, he's like, all right, this is what's coming. And then when it, if it works out in his favor, like he's really thinking about it, not just like it has to be fastball. He's really analyzing it. Martorella might have that, but I think it's more defensive than it is offensive. So I think he's fine but I've never seen the the Calmanzardo stuff. I actually think he could hit for average. He's a little bit smaller uh, from a height standpoint than Manzardo, a little bit stockier. I don't think he's going to run a bunch. Maybe there's a lot of other fun stuff to love about him. I'm kind of indifferent, but I'm definitely not in the enamored crew of Martorella. Yep. Yeah. It's a, 
there's such like a small window to be a valuable fantasy player as a first base only prospect yeah. that it's tough to buy into someone who's not checking every box all the time. I think, um, AJ Vukovic, little Diamondbacks flair. Uh, someone I liked a, a bit coming out of, I think he was a Wisconsin guy, if I remember correctly, just some pretty crazy raw tools. Definitely been faster than I expected in the pros, but, uh, a very aggressive hitter and a, and a large lad. Um, so you kind of would think that you would see a lot of exit velocity coming off him. Has not been the case in the fall league so far. Hitting 239, 314, 304. And uh, not striking out a ton, but striking out a lot more than he walks in the fall league. I don't know if you've seen Vukovic. I don't know if you're in on him at all, but. Yeah, um, he's actually exclusively in the outfield. And I asked him about it because he's playing center field out here. And I asked him about it the other day. Yeah, and he said he started playing outfield in the minor leagues late last year, and he loves it. And he's been playing right field, and he's been playing center, and he looks like he's dropped some weight even. Um, I think this is one of those guys, if things were to work out, he's got a big, he's got a big power swing that he could mash balls, but he doesn't seem to be making really great decisions. His swing is a little bit longer mm-hmm. too, which I think is part of the problem, but he can run. He has the, he, you know, he has a look of, it looks like Cody Bellinger right now. You know, Cody Bellinger's mm-hmm. first baseman, but he's got kind of a little bit more like up, like tight, uh, stiffer, Str- tight, uh, upright body in the outfield. Like that's how AJ Vukovic looks. And that that's where he's at right now. And it's actually probably a similar swing though. It's not as pretty. It's not as golf swingy, as pretty as Bellinger is. I think there could be something there. He hasn't gotten consistent playing time. I think he's learning a new position, which might be halting back a little bit, but I, I do think, um, I just don't think the, the, the hit tool is going to develop where he's ever going to be like a stud, but he absolutely has the power speed combination and it would come from the outfield now to be a fantasy asset. But I think he looks like really inconsistent, like really, really inconsistent as far as his hit tool goes. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And I do think there is some like to the swing. I remember, uh, I think he was part of that same draft class where he was compared a lot to Kobe Mayo, uh, who okay. I, was in, I did like him a bit coming out as a result. I was a huge Kobe Mayo guy coming out, which is aged a lot better. Um, <laughs> But uh, Vukovic, I think there is some length to the swing, but there's so much power there that if he can be even a 40 hit tool guy, like there's enough there. But the swing decisions to me just look, yeah, it, like, it's, like swinging it's aggressive shoes. and not in a good way. Yeah, yeah, he's like swinging through his shoes at all times. Like it, like every swing, it's trying to absolutely destroy baseballs. And sometimes, um, which ironically leads to a lot of soft contact. And and especially when you don't like really know what's coming. Like, and that's yeah. what it seems like. Yeah, so he's someone that if I ever start to see really, really decent like plate discipline from him, I'd probably buy. But uh, until that, I'm, I'm out. Yeah, uh, I agree. A big pop up prospect this year, or at least it seems so to me, uh, Victor Scott uh, has maybe uh, had better performance than a lot of these guys in a way. Uh, but the power is just kind of notably not there. Uh, he's hitting 250, 357 with a 292 slugging percentage. He's got twice as many walks as stolen bases. He's playing decent center field from what I've heard and seen. He's 10 for 11 on stolen bases. He can definitely fly. He's conservatively a 70 runner. Exit velocity, just 85.5 on average, though. And it's uh, not a ton of high in there. I- I'm interested. I've, I've never actually seen Victor Scott live. Uh, he's someone I've heard a lot of glowing things about, particularly this year. Kind of curious to get your thoughts on him. Yeah, he's a great guy, too. Um, he, I, What I was really looking for was to see if the swing was more ground ball uh, rooted and it's not, which is pretty encouraging. It's just like, he doesn't seem to get in on pitches enough that um, 
you know, he can get loft to them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it, it, the pitch mm-hmm. recognition might not quite be there in that he can barrel up baseballs, but he's a really good hitter and a patient hitter that he makes lots of contact, but that contact might be grounded to short and he can beat that out. You know, a lot of infield type of stuff. Um, stole over a hundred bases this year. He's an incredibly, ag- between AFL and the majors. And I think it's got- That's a hell of a stat. That's a, I know. He, it was like- <laughs> The first week of the AFL, he stole his 100th base, uh, which I, I, I hope to try to get in contact with him. But I think it's in the vibe of like Estuary Ruiz, you know, where it's just minimal power. It's aggressive, aggressive stolen bases. He's got he's got enough of an, an approach that I don't think it has to make him a number four outfielder. But I think that's on the table. But if he can hit really good from a contact perspective, he's going to be a guy that can. He's a leadoff hitter. He's a hundred. But I think he'll be a number nine hitter for quite some time. And I don't know how much the Cardinals can have. Like, how many number nine hitters can you have? You can't have Mason Wynn, and you can't have Victor Scott. But I like him. I just think he is. He's going to be a, a high end one category player. At best, a three category player. RBI and homers are just not going to be on the table unless something dramatic changes. But he definitely doesn't look like he's swinging up. You'll have a lot of guys that are just like, they're just flinging the bat out there to get the wood on it. And it's just ground balls. It doesn't seem the case. Like I, I did see him square up a double, hit it to left center, looked really good. But there's just not, the EVs are not there. He's not going to be a big power guy. Yeah, that's fair. And just kind of sounds like hopefully the uh, center field defense is what's going to get him into line. Yeah, he's a to great defender. He's a really he had one of the best catches. Uh, he had the best catch of the AFL so far um, already in center field. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard pretty glowing. Again, not someone I've seen personally, but someone I've heard a lot of glowing things about. So I'm not out on him. I'm not out on him. If you need steals, especially if it's not like a points league, you know, category league, could be a cheap source. So uh, yeah, he's he's interesting. Um, Kevin Parada. Someone that I did like a good amount coming out that I felt bullish on. I'm I hadn't been huge. I didn't love the Mets fit player development wise uh, coming out personally, but I was still pretty bullish on him. And I thought you know he fell further than I expected in the draft, which seems to be the case for anyone the Mets draft. They tend to pull the trigger on that, and uh, generally with uh, Billy Epler teams in general, it has seemed uh, have done that. So it'd be interesting to see if that changes at all with him out. But struggling a bit on the fall league, hitting 214, 267 OBP, 429 uh, slugging percentage. He's still hitting the ball hard. There's a ton of power in there. That's never gone away. But uh, three walks to 15 strikeouts in 45 plate appearances, not ideal. Uh, the most concerning thing I think so far is uh, stolen base temps on him, 21 of 23 success rate. And one of those was a that was counted as a caught stealing against him was a pickoff by the pitcher. So really it's 21 to 22 have been successful. So that's interesting you bring this that's up. That's not ideal. This is what I said. Well, he had, uh, I believe it was eight stolen bases against in one game the other day. Jacob Marcy stole three against him. Nassim Nunez stole two. He doesn't look like a catcher. And I think he's exposed. A lot of guys are getting exposed. I don't want to pick that up. Every catcher they're trying to steal on, but like the guys that, there's a book out, the guys that you can steal on, and you just laid it out. They're stealing against Prada. So if you're not a catcher, what are you, a corner infielder? His bat, I don't think, plays enough. He's got huge raw power. I have a homer on my Twitter timeline that SNY Mets picked up because Mets fans want him to be great. And mm-hmm. it was this huge bomb in Goodyear that hit the middle of a wall. It was probably 440, 450, and it was a really great approach, but he's not consistent. And that was my problem. I was a big Kevin Prada guy because at Georgia Tech, 
all he did was make contact all day long. This contact, a high batting average guy would rock into homers because he was making such good contact. He's just not making good decisions anymore. He's getting exposed. And, you know, maybe that was just two pitch pitchers in college that he could take advantage of. And now he's seeing a whole new mix of stuff that it's he's not heeding the call, I guess, if you will. Um, the homer he did hit was against Jackson Job, I would point out, which was nice. It was that. If I remember correctly, it was a fastball down the middle, but I I just don't see Parada being an explosive uh, contact hitter. He feels very much like the type of guy that's going to hit 240 with 20 something homers, but I don't know if he can do it at the catching uh, position. You can't throw a guy. Maybe you can frame, maybe you can call the games or you're a decent framer, but that might not matter in the near future. And I do wonder if the Mets experiment with trying to get him out of position and seeing if they can get that bat going again, because I think the bat's still live. I just don't know. I don't know if it's going to be 230, 240 with 20 homers, or will it be 250, 260 with 30 plus homers? He's definitely a 30 homer potential guy, but I'm no longer think that there's a floor there with the batting average, which I did for quite some time. Yeah. And I'm kind of with you on that. I, I do wonder, you know, the demands of playing catcher, and particularly if you're like really struggling to do it, can take away just so much time from your development as a hitter. Absolutely. Just man Carson hours Kelly, wise, right? I think, mentioned that. Carson Kelly was like this huge offensive catcher coming out. And then when he was asked to improve his defense, he took a huge step back offensively because of exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So there is, you know, an aspect to me where let's say they start playing him at third base or first base or even left field, you know, something like that. Anything else where, all of a sudden now, you know, because he's someone who really is like, it's got to take a huge mental toll having, you know, you're erasing one of 22 stolen base attempts and getting eight on you in one game. You can't yeah. do anything about it. You've been a good catcher. You know, he was at least good at, you know, he had a good arm coming out of Georgia Tech, right? So that's got to have a huge mental effect. And I'm sure he's putting a ton of hours into trying to develop there. And it's just kind of overwhelming. And it's dragging on a super long season, right? Like that. It's just his teammate I, looks better. JT Schwartz looks better out here. He's a bigger body first baseman yeah. who's making a ton of contact, has really good raw power that attaches to the contact. Where Parada is like, I think, a plus. He this is a guy Prada's a guy that like I think you could look and you're like, oh, he's gonna average like 112 max EVs. You know, here not average. He's gonna have like 112, 113, 114. You heard it here first. 112 average exit that would velocity. Be amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> but sure like where will he sit on an average standpoint? Because the contact like mm-hmm. mentioned, we've mentioned multiple times, he might just start topping a lot of stuff and just not making consistent contact. And I don't know. I'm I'm pretty indifferent on him. I've moved him down now seeing him in person, but I want to be a bigger fan. I have to. He's someone I sold during the season, all my shares that I had up. And I did have some shares on him because, you know, catcher the fault that I was in on. Um, but uh, I, I, if they do move him off a catcher, I think that I would be pretty excited to see that and to see if, okay, now that he has a bunch more time to put into hitting, you know, what does that look like? So I'm not all the way out on him. Yeah. I, I think I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm selling, but looking potentially to buy back later Cautiously if certain things optimistic. happen. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no reason to be super optimistic from what we've seen in the fall league. Um, so one thing I wanted to just give you a chance on a little pedestal here. Anyone that we haven't mentioned that just has popped in your looks, either negatively or positively, or you just want to talk about maybe interviewed and just came off like a great person, anything like that? Um, okay, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to go through just looking at my notebook. I really like Logan Workman. Um, one thing I don't like, the last game it was on display uh, Logan Workman's a pitcher with the Rays. 
He consistently throws 95-96. He's got um, a solid slider, solid changeup. I wrote there's some Bybee-type vibes I get with him. The problem is, is boy, the last start, he just sat high in the zone. And, I mean, there were like six balls hit right at the wall. Shane Sazaki with the Rays had to, like, save him twice. So he's a really big high fly ball pitcher. But I think he's super sneaky and consistent, and he's a Rays guy. That's someone that I would um, I would definitely pay attention to as far as the pitching market goes. Um, let me go through here. I'm out on Reggie Crawford. I wanted to like him. There's a couple guys on the surprise team that are interesting. Jacob Hurtabies, uh has Lars Newtbar vibes, leadoff hitter. He has this one glove no, and one non-glove approach he has. And uh, good contact, power speed guy. Lots of stolen bases, can barrel up the ball. Also, one of the... Surprising catchers out here was Liam Hicks. He had nine straight hits in one game, which was like a absolutely wild number to see. Yeah. Um, he's one of those guys that I would, uh, you know, I would just kind of monitor because he might end this Arizona Fall League hitting like 400, and that might be like a really good plus. Uh, I think we covered most of the guys. I'm trying to just look through my notes to see if there's anybody else I really loved. Unfortunately, there were a lot of guys I came away with like not being big fans of. Like I wanted to love Abimelech Ortiz. I haven't loved the him. Um, Reggie Crawford, I want to love. I have not loved him. His batting Struggled. approach is just absolutely atrocious right now. And he's dealing with being a hitter or pitcher. Hell of a BP though. Yeah, absolutely. There, there <laughs> he's are, got some pop in there. I definitely want to say there are definitely a lot of surprising guys out here. Um, there's some rule five guys. And I think there are some guys that might not be stars, but can end up helping teams in the near future. And that's, you know, the Caleb Durbin with the Yankees is making a ton of contact out here. Jace Bowen yeah. is a, you want to talk about like good people. Jace, uh, Jace Bowen has been just a phenomenal person. He's hitting 300. He's got three homers, 15 RBI, which I think is like second in the AFL right now. He has been great. And yeah, I think that's a, that's a good place to kind of leave it. Okay. One quick question, Caleb Durbin. What's the over under on his height? Oh, uh, <laughs> five foot seven is probably the number I would give. I have no idea what he's listed at, but I would. I think put, he's listed about five six. So I was, okay, I was yeah, curious because five seven is the over under, and I would, I might even take the under five five seven and a half. You might want to take the under. Look, at the Yankees are just churning out these tiny little guys that just pop. Like it's, it's weird. He does. He makes it's a weird. Yeah. There's a few guys out here that make just contact all the time. But I'm not in love. David McCabe with the Braves. He's very stiff. He's very upright. But he literally gets a single up dead center by second base every single game I watch him. It just, there's always, it looks like a 108 EV just straight down the middle. Caleb Durbin makes tons of contact, but yeah, he's like Jose Altuve uh, physically looking as well. Um, uh, Zach Desenzo is kind of a fun guy as well. Complete opposite, six foot four, giant human being, really low body stance that attacks, uh, but just kind of inconsistent contact. Yeah, another athletic guy though with that. Yeah, but yeah, that's, it's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah, I think we'll probably wrap it up here just time-wise. But uh, yeah, this is really fun. I think it's really interesting. You know, you have so much insight on all of these guys where it's, for me, it's really cool, uh, especially, you know, as I, I, the Fall League is always really fun. I haven't been able to go for the last couple of years, which is disappointing, especially because I just like the area quite a bit too. And, you know, yeah, you got to get out. Now, certain barbecue spots pitch. that I want to go to. Shout out Naked Barbecue uh, down there. But uh, 
Yeah, but it's it's really interesting all the insight you get, and especially since I've shifted to covering more the complex league and uh, you know international signing stuff like that. I, I mean, there's guys that just kind of you miss uh, going through that pop later on. It's really interesting to get a look at them in a setting like this. So, yeah, great, great insight. Always fun talking to you. Uh, just curious before we get out, I uh, just want to let people know. Obviously, Chris Welsh is at is it the Welsh on Twitter. What's coming up for you right now? What are you up to? Oh man, I'm uh, doing Prospect One. That's my prospect show. People might want to check out if you haven't already. I've just been doing Arizona Fall League uh, shows, kind of breaking down things I see with players, some of the stuff we've talked about I've done. I'm on a lot of other shows. Um, I do a lot of stuff with Fantasy Pros. There's football stuff going on. Um, the thing that's coming up is uh, Baseball HQ has got the first pitch conference that's going to be live in person. It's, it's a bummer you're not going to be here. That'd be awesome if you were here. And uh, lots and lots of baseball people, not only industry people, but just fans and stuff are going to attend the conference. And I'm going to be doing two live podcasts back to back. I just found out it looks like on Saturday I'll be doing. Oh, I don't remember the order, but I'm doing CBS with Frank Stamfel. And then I'll be doing Rates and Barrels with DVR and Eno. And we'll be doing live podcasts there that will be in some podcast format so you can listen to it. But I believe they'll also be live streaming it. So I will be out and about if people are there. Hopefully they come say hi. Uh, but I'll be doing that'll be my participation, I think, in first pitch. Plus, I'm doing a rookie draft. I already did. I don't know if there's anything else with it, but I'll be doing a couple live podcasts. So follow me on Twitter. Is it the Welsh? That's the best way to find the videos. Um, my Patreon is there if people want to come and join that, but I've uh, got all my normal stuff, which is a lot. And then I will be doing a couple of these, uh, live shows coming up in two weeks, November 4th, I believe, which is also, you're going to have the, uh, Arizona fall league home run derby on that same day later that night. And then the fall stars game, which is on Sunday, which is the all-star game of the Arizona fall league. So I'll be, be around doing all that stuff. That's a, that's a solid block of stuff coming up right there. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely excited to uh, catch a lot of that. And uh, yeah, I also caught you recently on the, I believe, Toolshed podcast doing the first year player draft thing. Yep, you always up to a lot of good stuff and it's always really fun talking to you. So I was really glad I was able to get you on here for one of my first shows and looking forward to having you back soon. Hey, brother, anytime. I'm always here for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.